the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosier. My better half, Donald, isn't here, and I'm actually missing him this week. He's been out of town. He's currently in, in Philly for work. And so um, he's not here. You have, you're just stuck with me today. But I'm glad you're listening, glad you're with us. This show is sponsored by the Matthews Hope Foundation. The foundation also runs a detox and recovery program called the Matthews Hope Detox and Recovery Program. The detox portion is a 10 to 14 day detox that's inside St. Joseph's Hospital in beautiful downtown Houston. And then it's followed with up to 24 months of free recovery coaching and aftercare after you successfully discharge from our program. It's an amazing program. We help people with alcoholism, drug addiction, chemical dependency issues, uh, prescription drug issues, heroin, fentanyl, anything like that. You can give us a call. If you have any questions about our program and see if we're a good fit for you, our phone number is 844-AND-HOPE. That's 844-263-4673. Or you can visit our wonderful website at www.mhdrp.org, herpderp.org. Or um, <laughs> you can also listen to us on iHeart and Facebook, and I'll give the handles at the end of the show. So let me get to my guest. I have in studio with me a good friend named Viggy. Welcome, Viggy. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to have you here because I'll just, uh, spoiler alert, you're an alcoholic. That's correct. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Viggy has been in our circle, in our bubble for a few years, and I love watching him grow spiritually and live the program, the life that we do. And so I want to bring these sort of stories to the public so everybody can get... From your experience, your background, your childhood, and if it, you know how you became an alcoholic and a drug addict, how you got sober, because I think everybody's story is so different. That spiral, the downfall, the addiction, no one says, hey, I want to grow up and be an alcoholic. <laughs> no, I, I don't think. Um, maybe it's a challenge for some, but I know that you didn't, and I also know that you have really great parents. So let's start there. Like, How did you grow up, and what sort of culture and environment uh, did your parents provide for you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so I was born in India, and uh, my family moved here in 1996 when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very work hard, working, hardworking parents yeah. and family. Um, you know, my my mom came here, you know, making less than the poverty line. My dad, uh, despite having, you know, a master's degree in engineering, you know, essentially started over, you know, mowing lawns, you know, working at a computer repair store, eventually working his way up to get a master's degree in computer science. Because he had degrees there in India, but they, they he had to redo all of that here for it to for him to be able to work in his career? Yeah, actually both both my both. parents. So wow. my dad had to get a another master's degree despite having one already and uh my mom getting another master's despite already having a PhD. So you India. come from a smart family, a loving family and a hard working family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Do you have I, any siblings? I have an older brother. Okay. Yeah. And so what was it like? Uh, so you only probably remember growing up in America, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. Three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you had a good childhood. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, uh, you know, I guess not like the caricature you might see from Hollywood about like what makes an alcoholic. Yeah. You know, I, I would say my story is very different. I didn't have any like emotional abuse or anything. If anything, like my parents and my brother worked incredibly hard to make sure that 
I had the best opportunities possible. You know? Do you think that you were spoiled or entitled? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I was. <laughs> yeah. And so that rings a bell for me. I grew yeah. up with great parents who gave me everything I wanted and needed and then some and loved me and doted on me. Yeah. And it really uh, fostered some entitlement in my heart. Oh, absolutely. As the, <laughs> as the younger the younger brother, you know, my, my older brother was more of the experiment child, you yeah. know, so all the... Uh, all I the guess, mistakes were made with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and little did they know, uh, at that point, all the mistakes were made. You know? <laughs> the, the challenge was coming. The challenge was coming, yeah. So you're, I'm assuming you worked hard in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight A student, you know, really good scores, uh, always in all honors. You know, my parents worked hard to put me in the best schools possible in the Houston mm-hmm. area. So they actually moved and bought, you know, houses or rented places next to the best schools to, to give me the best opportunities. Well, okay. Yeah, mom taught me math like two grades ahead. So, it was, you know, by the time I was in 11th grade, I'd finished as much math as I could, you know, wow. by the time I got to college, you know, I'd already like had enough credits to be a sophomore in an engineering program. So, so you pre- entered college to do an engineering program. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Study mechanical engineering. Yeah. And when did you start experimenting with drugs or alcohol? What was that like? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you know, it was, uh, the day my parents left to India to visit family, you know, my yeah. <laughs> just got introduced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, someone just asked me like, hey, have you ever done this before? You ever tried out? And I was like, hell yeah, yeah. And what was it? Was, it? It was weed. weed? It was weed, okay. yeah, yeah. So basically uh, I had uh, always seen, you know, other people, you know, uh, the other side basically. I was with the nerds, right? The mm-hmm. nerds really focused on getting into the good schools, getting good SAT scores. And I saw these other people, right? And I was like, damn, I wish I could be a part of that. Right. I wish I could experience that. Right. So I saw this, like the introduction point, mm-hmm. as like how I could experience that other side. You know? right. So when it was offered, I you know immediately agreed, and I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so it started off with weed. When did and was this high school years or college? This is high school. So high this school? was uh this was I'd say sophomore junior year of college. So okay. I got to uh, basically you know introduced to it, and then. I leveraged that to get in with like I guess the cool kids at school, right? right. I'd, I'd been telling them, "Oh, I've been doing this for years. I've been smoking for years." So, uh, uh, yeah, I used that to to kind of branch in. We really, really interesting. We actually got together at a treehouse behind <laughs> the levee. So, me and my friends, we'd get out of class. You know, we'd go there. We'd smoke like you know all afternoon. Have yeah. crazy intellectual stories about you know the merits of like uh, you know. Who did 9-11 and all that stuff. That, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we, we felt like uh, we were really intellectual geniuses at that point. And uh, yeah, I guess as a result of that, you know, the plan came up to let's have a party. You know, let's yeah. let's buy alcohol and stuff. And uh, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Let's, Sounds like let's a great idea. Sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So. so you dabbled in partying and I think possibly normal experimentation for most high schoolers. Maybe not all. I realize some people don't drink or do drugs in high school, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, most of us dabble in it. And that doesn't mean we become chronic alcoholics, you no. know? <laughs> and so did it start picking up later in college? You know, actually, I would say like the uh, the intensity of the, the drinking mm-hmm. in particular um, was actually from the very first time I drank. You really? know? So we all pitched in, got some vodka, um, and I ended up drinking most of that handle like the first time I drank. Mm-hmm. And uh Blacked out from the first time I drank, you know, ended up falling out of that treehouse. So the first, now now as we know, what that means is you had the physical allergy already in you from the very first time you drank, right? Oh, absolutely. Me yeah. too. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with host Heather Mosier and special guest Viggy. He's the, the professional alcoholic I wanted to bring on the show because everybody thinks alcoholics are like the homeless people under the bridge that drink every day. Right, right. And um, sometimes they are. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes not. <laughs> sometimes people still have all their stuff yeah. and a college degree and lovely, wonderful parents and no childhood abuse right. and still have this, you know, bullet of alcoholism. High bottom gang. Yeah. And so you started weed and then liquor um, and you had the physical allergy that we know now yeah. from the first time, I, so did I, my first time I ever drank was Everclear. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> blacked out you know but you know we don't know those things then we don't know other people don't drink like that right 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 right. we don't know other people well normal people will fill out of control and say oh i gotta slow down and stop and that that's not something that's in me or you ever yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) so did it progress and spiral in college were you able to still perform at college well yeah i guess it started off well you know i was isolating my drinking to the weekends Mm -hmm. uh, but when i would drink you know it would be Excessive every single time. Yeah. You know, I would say, you know, more than twenty shots consistently Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Wow. And um, it wasn't as much just the feeling of alcohol, but you know, the the joy and conviviality of being a part of a group. You know, and uh, getting people's approval. I felt mm-hmm. for doing too much, drinking too much, and uh, I yeah, uh, yeah it, it it spiraled pretty quick. I would say my sophomore year. You know, do so. you think that part of the drinking for you? Because looking back some insecurities for sure are there and wanting Absolutely. to fit in and be a part of yeah. and that, you know, alcohol or doing, it's not necessarily just the drinking or the drugs, but it's the camaraderie of, of feeling like a sense of belonging and ease and comfort. They call it like liquid courage. You know what I mean? Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. I felt that from the very first time and, you know, really every subsequent time in college as well, you know. And so in college, was it just alcohol or was it alcohol predominant or what other substances did you start dabbling in? You know, I would say mainly alcohol weed every day you know uh when i could get it because i was broke cocaine you know yeah. and then some some of these other you know cooler things that were coming out like the uh you know the molly pills that look yeah. like the different like louis vuitton and snapchat <laughs> and stuff you know so when i could I get don't even those, know about that oh you don't yeah they they came like really well designed so that kids would love to to try it oh, out wow. yeah great branding you know i don't know where they're coming from but you know it's kind of like <laughs> nowadays what that's making because i grew up in oklahoma and i was just a heroin addict and so i wasn't aware of designer drugs but what i've yeah. heard of since i work in treatment here now in houston is um, a lot of the fentanyl pills are rainbow colored and so you'll see bright like they look like skittles right yeah and so they're bright pink bright blue and so people always think that that's to market it to children because it looks fun like kids to take it uh, okay. um, but there's a secondary reason from a drug dealer perspective you yeah. want to know where your product's going right, right, right and so if a product that's blue is turning up in the zone that's supposed to belong to the guy selling the pink mm. then they're able to see if their territories are being stepped on yeah, I read about that. I think the, crazy? the Sinaloa cartel like colors it differently. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. different branches that are approved to sell in that area. <laughs> I don't really know how that works, but yeah. but so that's another. So okay, so Louis Vuitton, uh, MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Well, were your parents aware that any of this was going on, or your brother? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean. First time I drank, they caught me, right? So oh, my brother had okay. to come pick me up. I threw up in his friend's car. Aww. I remember waking up, and I didn't remember anything, really. I, I you know, kind of like Donnie says, time traveled, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. So, like, I was in the treehouse, and I woke up, and <laughs> my parents were standing, looming over me, right? And they were like, do you remember what you did? And I, I come up with some, you know, half-assed excuse for what yeah. I think I did, right? Yeah. But then uh, I can't – I remember thinking, despite all these, like, first, you know, consequences I was experiencing from drinking, I cannot wait to do this again. 
Yeah. 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 Whereas like I feel like that wouldn't be the case, I think, if I didn't have this uh really great pull on me, you know, from, right. from the very first start. So one of your stories that I like, and I'll try to set up, there's there's a story about you when your alcoholism was spiraling that you had a habit habit that had to do with uh, <laughs> fast food drive throughs Do you want to tell that story? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I uh, would, you know, even in college and also after college, you know, I you know, was thinking like, you know, an engineer, right? So if I eat before I drink, I'm going to get less drunk, right? But I do love <laughs> yeah. food, right? I'm a fatty at heart, so... <laughs> I would drink and I would keep getting more and more to drink. And then I would also start accumulating food like a, like a raccoon or like a squirrel saving yeah. nuts for the winter, right? Like I'll get there eventually, right? And so in college, it would be like 24 packs of tacos from Jack in the Box, right? And in my dorm room, I'd wake up the next day having not touched any of it, right? right. And, and then uh, and going through like McDonald's drive throughs getting like, I remember when the, the first McChicken came out. Or not the first McChicken, but the, uh, the McChicken with like the jalapenos and the, oh, the yeah, cheese yeah, and yeah. stuff. I think it was like 2016 or 2017. I would... I would go through the drive-thru and get like 13 of them, right? And I'd be like, oh, this is great, you know? And I'd stop somewhere else, get some ice cream or whatever, you know? And then I'd wake up blackout the next day and uh, having not eaten any of it. And so you'd have all this uneaten food around <laughs> you. Yeah. But you called it raccooning. Or yeah, spiraling, yeah. You know, And I love that. It, it reminds me in our 12-step literature, uh, the story of a guy named Jim, and that's probably not his real name, but he had the grand idea that he could drink a shot of whiskey if he put it in milk on a full stomach. So right. his rationale was, if I eat this sandwich, then an ounce of whiskey in a glass of milk won't hurt me on a full stomach. And yours is kind of very similar where you're like, hey, if I eat 16 <laughs> water burgers, like, yeah. like, maybe I won't time travel, you know? Well, a little bit the opposite, actually. I was thinking, I want to get as drunk as possible. So <laughs> let me save this for later. For later yeah. when you're not too drunk to eat it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a raccooning story about, but mine's different, but I called it, they called it raccooning. So yeah. when I was not sober and I would time travel and Heather's not <laughs> present mentally, I would raccoon other people's houses that I was at, meaning I would alphabetize their home alphabetically, like organized. <laughs> and so I'd put like toothpaste and tampons, like and toys, like all together, whatever it was. Like I would, I would alphabetize their stuff randomly. Yeah. And they're like, Heather's raccooning again, you know. But <laughs> it was just like Makes did sense. not. It made sense to me at the time. <laughs> You know, yeah. I remember one guy yelling, why is there stuffed animals in the freezer? And it was because I had done something. I, I rationalized. I knew it needed to go in the fridge for some reason. Furby fridge. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but OK, so tell me towards the end, um, were you were you drinking or doing drugs every day or not? Or what did you have any legal consequences or was it all emotional? What was going on? Absolutely. Yeah. Like a lot of uh, I guess consequences legally you know i got uh, arrested twice for a dwi um and um also was picking up and using a lot of, a lot of other drugs as i was starting to make money you right. know I, uh, like towards the end of college i was i was selling mm-hmm. a drug so i had some you know income. basic income right so i was uh buying a lot more cocaine so i started developing that as a pretty heavy yeah. habit so um after i got out of college you know I, I delved really deep into the cocaine so i got a lot um and i was drinking and using cocaine and smoking weed every day so. Do you find that cocaine guys mm-hmm. uh, are more egocentric than the normal guys, or is that not a thing? You know, I guess uh, I don't know too much about the other sample sets, <laughs> like the the heroin guys or yeah. the meth guys. I, I had a lot of, like, pride, right? Yeah. So, like, somewhat of a dare kid still, like, oh, I'm never going to stick a needle in my arm, right. or I'm never going to, like, smoke meth, you know, because— You're too good for that. I'm too good for it, right? I'm Too you know, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, cocaine's fine. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> even though it's— Probably largely worse for you, like cardia- cardiovascular-wise, yeah, than, right. than heroin or, I don't know. So. I don't know, but probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, 
did you did your family ever do an intervention where they're like you got to get help or did you ever get arrested yeah absolutely so you know i got arrested so they would you know come get me out of jail and then uh i would have to you know sit down you know would make these firm resolutions cry in front of them say you know i'm never doing this again really really meant it you You did mean it Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, I think Donnie may have shared, like, if, if you put me on a lie detector at that point yeah. and asked me if I was ever going to do this again mm-hmm. and I said no, I would have passed because yeah. I really, really meant at that point. Like, yeah. why would I ever do this again? And they say that, you know, I don't, I don't like when people say, oh, he's a drug addict or an alcoholic. If their lips are moving, they're lying. Like, when we're in that illness, it's stronger than your your willpower, per yeah, se. absolutely. And so I... I meant it with every fiber of my being too when you make those firm resolutions and you promise your family i'm never going to do this again i'm going to change some stuff it's going to be different this time and then within a few months or days sometimes you're back at it right and you were experiencing that you'd make these firm resolutions and then absolutely not be able to keep it for sure after i got my my dui like was drinking again a month later a month later coming up with some rationalization or justification as to why it was okay i'm still in college or you know i'm still young it's not the right time i'm having panic attacks whatever it might be you know i and you myself. were working in a professional career at this point, too. Just oh, FYI. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, it, working just on the drive home, would pick up liquor, would pick up cocaine, would, would do it all night, several trips to the ER, mm-hmm. uh, calling in sick the next day, you know, so starting to accumulate a lot of these consequences. Consequences. I yeah. had a lot of consequences, too. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Viggy's Story, the professional alcoholic. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Heather Mosher. We have a special recovered guest in studio, Viggy P. Welcome. Thank you. Glad you're here. We're, we want to share your story with the public because I bet you know, there's a few professional high-bottom alcoholics or cocaine addicts in the city of Houston <laughs> that will listen to this and will identify and they'll be like, oh, I didn't know. Most definitely. I didn't know. So what culminated... You finally going to uh, treatment. I know that you went to treatment because that's how I met you. But uh, for anyone who doesn't know, did you try to go to 12-step stuff, meetings only? Did you just start go to treatment one time? Like, how did you finally get sober? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I went to a 12-step meeting to get my parents off my back. So yeah. I went to a club, Parliament One here in Houston. Mm-hmm. And uh, I showed up there and people were talking about reading a book. And uh, <laughs> they were talking about, I don't know, I remember one guy was talking about how the, the state of Minnesota wouldn't let him back in for his Matthews. And I was like... I'm so glad to hear this, right? I'm so glad I don't have y'all's problems. Whatever y'all have, <laughs> yeah. that's not what that's I not have. That's not what I have. So, you know, I, you know, use that every time my parents would tell me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going, I'm going. But uh, mm-hmm. it was actually the, the Super Bowl in 2019. Uh, okay. I don't remember what exactly had happened. At that time, I'd quit my job to, to fix this, right? And uh, yeah. ended up worse than I anticipated because I had all this free time now. Yeah. Um, and so You can drink and do a whole bunch more drugs when you don't oh, have a job to show up to. Absolutely. And I had <laughs> a little bit saved up and that was draining really quickly. So I got into a big fight. You know, I was bouncing around back from my brother's house from my parents' house. And mm-hmm. so every time they'd piss me off. So so I thought, you know, I'd go to the other place. And yeah. so got in a big fight with my brother. Um, and I can't remember what happened after that. You know, I I'd blacked out, was wandering around Houston, Sugar Land. I don't remember exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, showed up at my parents' house. And, um, you know, only thing I really remember is like there was no real consequences this time. Nothing really different. Right. But just internally broke. You know, like my what I felt like 
at that moment was like what I would describe as my real rock bottom, just mm-hmm. really feeling just an internal rock bottom. Yeah, despair, hopelessness. You know, and, uh, and how know. how many attempts did you make? Do you think uh, to stop drinking and doing drugs on your own before that moment? Oh man, it's got to be. I would say, yeah, like in at least 50, 60, right? Okay. I tell myself, I'll stop when I'm 20, I'll stop when I'm 21, I'll stop when I'm 22, yeah. you know? Uh, but this time, I don't know what happened. It was different, you know, no real external consequences. It was just me breaking down in front of my mom yeah. and crying, you know, and asking, you know, asking for her forgiveness, you know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know what changed, but the next morning, you know, I agreed to, to go to treatment. So you went to a 30-day rehab? Yep, that's correct. And was it 12-step friendly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could say that again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell me about your experience in treatment. Uh, like you were saying before in the meetings, you're thinking, I'm nothing like these people. Right. Because people were, you know, unfortunately sharing war stories at the meetings you went to before. Right. And they were being too specific of what their use looked like. So you didn't know that you were them. Absolutely. So yeah. it was separating you. So when you go to treatment, what education did you learn and what happened? Yeah. So. Uh, parents dropped me off at treatment and, you know, I was expecting something like Passages Malibu, right? You know, <laughs> acupuncture, <gonna> acupuncture <laughs> equestrian therapy, you know, maybe yeah. there's a ketamine drip. I don't know. I show up and uh, they take away my my gaming laptop and my uh-huh. two cell phones and yeah. all this stuff. And I'm like, what the what the hell's going on right now? You know, and uh, they put me in scrubs and they put me in detox. Well, de- I actually skipped detox. I had okay. actually like my parents had, you know, just stayed at home, but went right into the residential. OK. And uh, I was. I was shocked, right? Because I thought my parents had said this is one of the most advanced treatment centers yeah. of its kind and in, in like top five in the nation or something mm-hmm. like that. I showed up and the, the first thing they did, they sat me in a chair and it was a, it was a Tulsa meeting, you mm-hmm. know, and I was, uh, I was pissed, you yeah. know, because I was like, there's got to be a more advanced program. <laughs> it's 2019. Come on. There's got to be an adva- more advanced program for dealing with this the, the than, 12 steps. than the 12 steps, right? I saw the word God on the wall and I was like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> And because um, I didn't pay attention to that first one. And the first topic was uh, on the spiritual experience, mm-hmm. you know. And so they were reading out of the book and I was just I was just not having it. I was like scoffing. I was like, what are these white people going to teach <laughs> me. me in Indian about spirituality? Yeah. I mean, like the Beatles went to India to get spiritual, <laughs> right? Like my people invented yoga and meditation. Like I wasn't doing that. But yeah. still, you know, like they. It's so, a very common prejudice. I want to touch on even though I'm not. Indian or yeah. Hindu or, you know, I grew up in a very uh, religious background home. And so I thought I knew all about God, too. Mm. And so as a believer showing up in the rooms of AA, but it's this higher power neutral language. Mm. I had a prejudice of what can you people possibly teach me about God? Yeah. <laughs> you don't know anything, you know. Yeah. And so we had the same intellectual pride is my point. So yeah. talk about that, some, that, your struggles with that. You're too smart for this. You oh, know absolutely. more than these people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like from the very fir- that very first meeting, I was thinking no one's going to be able to help me, right? I already know what this is, right? Mm-hmm. I've seen it in The Sopranos. I know what 12-step <laughs> is. You know, like it's a bunch of dudes sitting in a circle talking about their, their lives. problems. Yeah, yeah, like it's a, a turd swirling the drain about to get flushed. <laughs> That's what I thought too. It was just <laughs> old, crusty dudes just sitting in a circle talking about their problems. That's what I thought the 12 steps was before I experienced the 12 steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a miserable uh, experience for you at first. Mm-hmm. When did something click or a light bulb change while you're in treatment? It was actually that same meeting. You know, they turned the page to you know, of, of that text, right? Yeah. And then they, they read out of a part that said, you know, there's a principle which is, uh, you know, proof against all arguments, you know, bar against all information, cannot fail to hold someone in everlasting ignorance, and that's contempt prior to investigation. Contempt prior to investigation. Yeah. and the Herbert y- Spencer quote. Exactly. I was reading, you know, reading that following along, and uh, I was like, 
something clicked within me. I was like, what do I really know about any of this, right? Have I actually ever given this thing a shot? Because that's interesting because most people hang on to that prejudice for whatever reason. And when if you were to read the contempt prior to investigation quote, most people won't have the scales fall off their eyes right then and be like, you know what? I've never done the 12 steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that was God doing something in you in that moment to help you start, begin to see some truth. Yeah, in in the in the twelve step context, I you know I I feel like that was the beginning of my spiritual experience. Yeah. It just opened the door, just made me a little bit more open minded to what this might be, and it convicted me to, you know, let's let's try this, right? Yeah. Let's give it a full shot, right? Cause, so when did you start finding out what was really actually wrong with you? What illness did you have? Yeah, yeah. So it was probably when you know you and Donnie had come in, you know, mm-hmm. and led a meeting, you know, and so you had to identified, you know, this is great because I'm a visual learner, right? So, like, just reading out of a book that was written in the 30s, you know, I'd be like, I don't know That's about That's why this. I always get out that dry erase board. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. going to draw this. Absolutely. <laughs> and I do the same now. When I go back there, I do the exact same thing. That's what's cool. So, let me just, like, fast forward. What's cool is years ago, uh, Donnie and I used to go into a treatment center here in Houston. We've done it in several different places. But during that chunk of time, every Monday night, we taught Big Book and Basics to the people in treatment. And, and and it was open to the public too, but we had a giant dry erase board and we taught yeah. almost the same thing every Monday night <laughs> uh, to make sure people had the proper education to give them any hope of getting well. And that is how we met you. And yep. here we are years later and you're the one in there with the dry erase board doing it for the clients now. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. So when, when I identified that cyclical pattern that you guys had shown on the board, right? You were like, like, oh no. Yeah. Like, I mean, like. The, the real shocker was like I would make the choice every time, or so I thought, right. while sober, to do the same thing again, expecting a different result. Because at the, at the crux of the problem, as the literature calls it, it's, man, I have insane thinking sober yeah. that at yeah, some yeah. point I decide to try the game again. At some Absolutely. point I put a substance back in my body. For whatever reason, my experience shows me that I don't have the ability to leave it alone for good 100%. entirely. Yep, 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 yep. I put it back in my... And do you know that logical people don't do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, no... Logical people don't return to the substance after they're detoxed. Absolutely, yeah. I've never, you know, stuck a fork back in a wall socket after it shocked me <laughs> right. the first time. You know? <laughs> I'm not trying to go get stung by bees or eat peanuts if I'm allergic to it. Like, Absolutely. I know what's going to happen. Yeah. But for some reason, we have a failure of that mental defense that keeps us from putting our hand on the hot stove again and again and again and again. Yeah. And without a spiritual basis, uh, there's no hope of recovery. Mm-hmm. And and what I love about the 12 steps is it's a neutral spirituality. And Absolutely. so whatever conception or belief you have, that works. That's 100%. what you're going to think. Yeah. So you worked some steps and you adopted this way of life. Not not exactly. <laughs> First thing I did was I thought more meetings, more recovery, right? So okay. they said in treatment, 90 meetings in 90 days. Yeah. So I thought I'm going to do more right yeah. so i'm gonna do this the best i can so i did 210 meetings in 90 days right wow. and then i started to think around day 90 i was like man you know what i'm 25 a lot of these people are pretty old in here you know <laughs> like maybe i can go out for another couple decades and then come back in and take this now i know where event. it's at now i know where it's at now i know what to do right <laughs> so that's when i you know called up donnie and, and i recognized the seriousness got to work and gave it a full shot gave took all the suggestions bit. and immediately found treatment centers to spread the message at while i was working the steps yeah and then continuing to do that over the past, you know, three and a half years on a weekly basis. And that gift of desperation of that that dedication to jump all in both feet, you know, I know that that's what saved my life and your life. Absolutely. And not everybody has that yet, you yeah. know, and and it's sometimes frustrating that you want people to just shake it into them and get well, you know. Yeah. And 
on the flip side, I know that I was resistant to lots of forms of help that were offered to me up until I wasn't mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. whatever reason. You know, I got to meet your parents uh, last year at our home group thing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. they're just the sweetest people and your brother. Yeah. And it's just so cool to watch what God has done with you. And not just the sobriety part, being sober is just maybe like a byproduct of this way of life. Right. And it's not even why we continue to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't wake up this morning like grateful to God, like I, you know, I'm sober today. You know, I, I don't really have the capacity for that gratitude unless, you know, unless I'm doing God's work, connected. right? Yeah, and working for others. Do you feel like your spirituality was improved as a result of the 12 steps. Oh, 100%. 100%. Real spirituality. Real spirituality. I think so, too. (laughs) Don't go anywhere. We're going to take one more break. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio. We will be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Relevant Recovery Radio with host Heather Mosier and special guest, recovered alcoholic, Viggy P. (laughs) (laughs) So I got some hot seat questions for you. Okay. We've been having fun with this with some guests we've had on. So these are program recovery, 12-step related. I'm just going to fire some at you. You can answer however you want. Okay. 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 Uh, What is your date of sobriety? Uh, February, I'm not sure, between the 3rd and the 8th, 2019. Okay. How long did it take you to work all 12 steps? Uh, three months. Three months. Yeah. How many people have you sponsored? Uh, are we talking about like people that have like gone through the steps and started sponsoring? You can answer both. How many people have you gotten through all 12 steps and how many people do you think you've attempted with? Man, I got to say, I think like gotten through all 12 steps, close to maybe like 20, okay. you know, and then uh, attempted, I would say probably a little bit over 100. Okay, yeah. cool. I like that. What is your least favorite 12-step slogan and why? Um, man, I think, uh, I guess just as like, you know, an intellectual pride guy, I think it's like do the next right thing, right? Okay, it, why? I, I like think it that really one. is, uh, I mean, it has its place for newcomers, right? Yeah. But I think it doesn't acknowledge the complexity of what we see as God's will. For, for people. Versus self-will. Versus self-will, right? Because it's the next right thing may completely be self-will and yeah. you're not even aware of that. Super subjective. Yeah, <laughs> Super. yeah. <laughs> um, what is the quickest that you've ever seen someone get through all 12 steps and recover? Uh, for me, would have to be three days for, for a guy I took through in- In uh, three days. Yeah, and he's coming up on two years. That's incredible. Yeah. Mine was- uh, 10 days with a girl. Okay. And, uh, and then Brie did it, in, you know, Brie, 18 days. Yeah. You know? Oh, we're saying names. This is Jason. Jason worked the steps in three days? He wanted it. He wanted oh, it. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Jason. I Hell love yeah. that. All right. Um, as you recovered when you were working the steps, when did you begin to feel a spiritual connection? I would say like uh, as a result of continuing to sponsor people mm-hmm. and taking my intellectual pride down very, very gradually because I I think I'm so smart. It really happened, you know, I started to actually see these synchronicities and meaningful coincidences. As you sponsored people. As I sponsored people around, like, I would say year and a half, two years. And I like to to give a space to talk about that because some people think, oh, I'm supposed to have a a connection to God by the third step or the the fifth step promises or the ninth step promises. Sometimes it takes a minute. Well, yeah, I mean, 
the package that I arrived as <laughs> with that much, I know what's going on. I'm smarter than everyone else. Yeah. It took me a while. Yeah, your pride was wrapped in bubble wrap for a year. Oh, for sure. You're like, yeah. no, this ain't going anywhere. I'll do this stuff, but it's not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, did you have an amends that you did not want to make, but did you make it? Yes, absolutely. You know, I had to come clean to uh, to my parents about using cocaine. I thought, oh. they're first-generation American. If I tell them this, they're just going to drop dead and have a heart attack yeah, on the spot, right? Yeah, like, hurt them so much. Yeah, I, you know, I ended up doing it, right, because uh, I had some great guidance from my sponsor, and uh, it was great because, like, honestly, like, they just laughed, and they're like, where do you even find this? <laughs> <laughs> I have one similar. When I was making amends to my dad, um, I needed to tell him, I was debating on whether or not I should tell him mm -hmm. uh, that I had pawned the ring he had custom made for me out of my my past dead grandma's diamond. Right. Mm. And it was one of the first things that I pawned when I got on drugs. Yeah. And part of me didn't want to tell him. I didn't want to hurt him. I didn't want to disappoint him. And the other part, my sponsor was like, you have to pray about this because, mm -hmm. you know, the literature says you're not supposed to tell someone that would hurt them and make them unhappy. But at the same time, I don't want to lie by omission or not have a clean slate with this person. So it's really between me and God, ultimately. Absolutely. And so I decided I, I wanted to have a clean slate with my dad. I didn't want him to ask in five years, at five years sober, like, hey, where's that ring? I wanted yeah. to go ahead and rip the whole Band-Aid off and tell him. And he goes, I figured. Yeah. It Same. was like not this big thing that I had made it in my head. And then I get to walk away from that amends with a completely clean slate. Yeah. I, honestly, I think I'm aligned thinking, right? You know, like how much is it really going to hurt someone? It's so right. easy for me to rationalize and that. And to use that as an excuse to exactly. not do it. I Just see that happen all the to, time. To not do it. Yeah. <laughs> it could, is it, you know, like 2% chance and I'm not going to do it. Right. Right. <laughs> Explain the first time that you experienced being recovered. Uh, I can't remember when it happened, you know, but, you know, I, I guess... Just I initially being prudent was like, let me stay away from all this. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the, for me, like that happens when I'm restored to same thinking. Right. Yeah. When I'm able to be around alcohol and drugs and not have that first thought come up and say, mm -hmm. this might be nice. You know, yeah. and so that happens somewhere in year one, you know, but mm -hmm. I mean, it's only gotten better, I would say. Like I've had alcohol in my house for like two and a half years. You know, mm -hmm. my, my girlfriend drinks, you know, I've been out to bars and clubs all around the world. Yeah. And like uh, it's just has no effect on me anymore. But and that's the hope I want us, that's why I put this question in there so yeah. that people, our audience can hear it from multiple, multiple people is that for recovered alcoholics, if we're spiritually fit, triggers aren't a thing. I won't accidentally end up drunk if I'm right. connected spiritually that day, you know? Absolutely. And so uh, we can go anywhere and we can do anything, including bars and nightclubs and whatever and weddings. Yeah. And, yeah. and I don't want people that are struggling with substance use to think that sobriety is going to be miserable and that they're going to fight, have to fight the drink or the drug idea for the rest of their life. That's not our case. That's not our experience. Oh, yeah. I, I wouldn't want that. <laughs> no, I just drink. Yeah, <laughs> That's absolutely. miserable. <laughs> yeah. Okay. On what step do you lose the most sponsees and why? Do you uh, think? I would say four. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, like I try to get them to four the first time we meet yeah. and get through it quickly, right? Because it's not much action, one, two, and three. So just usually don't don't hear back, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Can you get them to do the grudge list and just not the resentment inventory? Yeah, yeah. So we get we get the grudge list going, and then we explain. You know, we're supposed to do one, two, and three, then and then come back and do four for all of it, right? So like, or the columns, right? Yeah. So I get them to do one the, the list, and then one full example, right? Mm -hmm. And then after that, you know, it's just cr like, nah. crickets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I lose most at four. Uh, what's your favorite step or big book quote? And why? Yeah, I would say uh, with the or, I would have to say, you know, I keep coming back to, you know, 
faith without works is dead. Yeah. How appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could certainly not tr- survive the certain sure. trials and low spots ahead. I mean, because I feel that is not what I thought initially. I thought, like, this is a sequential 1 to 12, right? So <laughs> yeah. once you do these things, it, then you're I, good. Didn't, I didn't know the nuances, right? You yeah. do 9, 10, 11, 12 at the same time, right? You start yeah. essentially doing that at the same time, and you have to keep doing it. Otherwise, it's not going to keep working. And in our lineage, not always, but predominantly, we'll do one, two, three, start four in one sitting. And the way I sponsor, I was sponsored. I do five through eight in one day with Same. a sponsee. Likewise. You know, and you and you do, while you're doing nine, you start 10 and yeah. you can start 11, you can start 12. They're, they're, right. You know, someone can be on nine through 12 at the same time. Yep, yep, yep. And, and, but then you learn how to live it, all yeah. of it. Right, right, it, right. It starts to morph into other other meanings and stuff. So I love that too because I did not survive a certain life low spot right. um, that occurred when I was around 29 because I had no spiritual connection. And out of that catalyst, I'll call it, mm-hmm. it's not the cause, but out of the catalyst, I became a heroin addict. Right. You know? And so people think, oh, I'm a heroin addict because of this trauma or, oh, I'm an alcoholic because of this childhood. Mm, no, because not everybody has that catalyst yeah. that, that becomes alcoholic. <laughs> and at the same time, there's other people that did experience that sort of trauma or catalyst that don't become alcoholics. Right. And so you got to look in context. Like my marriage falling apart didn't give me the allergy and the obsession. Something else was already different in me that I didn't have the skills to navigate going mm. through that divorce. Yeah, I like that catalyst makes a lot of sense yeah. to me. Yeah. All right. So um, Bill or Bob? Uh, I got to say Bob. Yeah. Everyone says Bob, I think. <laughs> <laughs> How many meetings do you attend weekly? Sponsees count. Sponsees count. Um, I would say six or seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. If you could take a pill and go back in time and not be an alcoholic, would you or would you not and why? Yeah, I guess uh, yeah, I wouldn't mostly because uh, the type of person I am, mm-hmm. you know, I, don't, I wouldn't even want to drink like a normal person. Right. Like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point, right? I wouldn't want to drink or use cocaine like a normal person. And, and you know, obviously because, you know, I found this way of living that, you know, kind of like in Fred's story talks about, you know, not just the solution for, for the monkey on my back, you know, like when I get in here, but it's really the solution to all of my problems. It's a, it's, I always say we come to, to the 12 steps to try to get sober. Yeah. But I stay because I love the way that this way of life has me at peace inside. Yeah. And useful to others. And I'm grateful that I went through the horrible things I went through to get to where God has me today. Likewise. I can yeah. say that wholeheartedly, yeah. What do you think your greatest gift of sobriety has been? Greatest gift of sobriety? Man, uh, the ability to, you know, I'd say greatest gift of continuing to sponsor people is the ability to want what I already have. I like, love that. Yeah. I've never been Be able, content. Like, yeah. Never made sense to me before. I already have it. What I want it. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Viggy. I've enjoyed getting to hear your story, and I know others have, so thank you so much for being Thanks on the show today. Me. Don't awesome. forget, those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God, though.